Welcome to Being the Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, we invite a guest to share their experiences of being a black and brown person in white spaces. The racial reckoning that our country currently finds itself in has found its way into Hollywood and the entertainment industry has received some attention, including hashtag Oscar so white, hashtag me too, and black on Broadway. Today's guest is a member of that community and will share his stories of being black, acting, auditioning in Hollywood. Eddie Blackwell is an African-American actor from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Upon moving to L.A., Eddie worked primarily in television post-production, working for daytime talk shows and HGTV programming. After realizing that this was not so fulfilling, he actually started to pursue his dream of acting full-time. In his short time as an actor, he's been spotted in a handful of well-known national repetitive commercials, including Jimmy John's, The General, Best Buy, Hummer, eBay, Toyota, Honda, and Capital One. And he recently co-starred in Lucifer, two short films, Elsewhere and Imaginary Gary, as well as three mini-series, Just Living, AMFMAA. I'll find out what that is later. And Baker's Dozen, which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Eddie studied film and television production at Point Park University and studies at Margie Haber Studio in Hollywood. Daughters, please welcome to the podcast, Eddie Williams. Applause and a round. Eddie, thank you so much for being here. Listeners, you may notice that we had a few technical difficulties with recording this episode. I believe that the relationship status between my mic and Eddie Williams' mic is officially, it's complicated. Please enjoy. It is such a fun thing. Okay, guys, you run a plus and you just go in a circle and just keep it going. That's, 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 uh, that's been like, uh, I think, elementary school for me. I think that's as yeah, far as I know I, that I, one for I sure. Know. Well, I'm not very cutting edge. Thanks so much for letting me know that. <laughs> oh, shoot. You make my resume sound so nice. Well, so like, it is he's done this and this. And I'm like, oh, my God, it sounds so accomplished. You, no, no, you are doing it. I mean, that's impressive. And I said repetitive commercials because that's repetitive income. True. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah, true. So, so. That's, that's some passive income for you right there. So let's just get right to it. Why don't we start by, you shared a little bit about acting and how you kind of broke into it in your bio. I was able to share that. But why don't you tell us what's underneath that story? Right. Uh, How far back can I go here? I think, so late elementary school uh, and middle school, my friends and I, we, uh, growing up, my friends and I, we loved to like do little shorts. We used our parents' cameras, like like the big handheld like shoulder ones they'd bring to all our school plays. Uh, we'd use those and we'd make our own little shorts. And back then, we didn't have access to editing. We just would kind of shoot everything in order. And then if we had, if we didn't like a take, we would, re- you know, rewind the tape, go back, shoot over it again, and then do the whole thing. So we learned early on, like, how production sort of worked. 
Uh-huh. And uh, I got into that at, you know, like I said, like I said, I think elementary school, middle school. And then around high school, um, I joined our film production uh, class, which wasn't offered to freshmen. But I got in and uh, my guidance counselor got me in as a freshman. It was great. And I got to watch from freshman year all the way to senior year how the program had developed and turned into like this actual class and not like well, not, and not like a study hall, so to speak. And uh, while I was there, I made a handful of shorts with some friends of mine, and uh, we had a short that went from, I think, our junior year to our senior year, which won a couple of awards at, like, school fairs and school um, shows, and that was great. And I really got into acting around that time as well. As a matter of fact, in middle school, my friends and I decided to do, like, a feature-length film. Kind of a daunting task for middle schoolers, but, like, every day it was the same. I'm sorry? I say I'm thinking. Oh, for sure, yeah. And so, like, for for us, it was like uh, we'd go to school. And then we, most of us would go home and some of us would do our homework and then we'd shoot the rest of the day. And at the time, um, we were using the woods around our area in, in uh, Westchester, PA, and mm-hmm. which have now been converted to homes and stuff. So like our, our childhood is pretty much gone now, but that was, that was where we would film all of our, all of our shoots. And uh, I was always the actor or like the stunt choreographer. So I was that person who's like, doing all the fight scenes and stuff. <laughs> so I got used to that. Um, and so I, and in high school was, was kind of where I started to... Um, pick up kind of uh, wanting to be an actor. Um, and, then I, and then when I went to college, I uh, focused on film and video production. So I got to actually edit film on a flatbed and do it digitally as well. Really wow. cool experience. Um, long, but a good experience. And so then while I was there, I took a couple acting courses um, and the teachers there saw that I had kind of a natural talent for it. And then they were like, hey, if you ever go to LA, you should give it a shot. You know, you, you seem very comfortable in front of the camera. And so I was like, ah, give it a shot, you know, um, I'm not sure where it'll take me. I have no idea where to start, first of all. And so when I came out to L.A., I worked in production first because that was my background. After five years, I was like, this is not for me, and I switched it over in 2015. Nice, nice. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so when you were working in the post-production world or piece of the business, were you the dot? Were you uh, the chipping the cookie or the raisin the milk? Let me think about that for a second. My first, so my first job out here, I worked uh, for a company. Uh, they did like the um, the daytime talk show kind of promo ads, like today on so and so, you're going to see Denzel mm-hmm. Washington and da da. So I did that, and I think in that, I think I was maybe like one of maybe four or five black folks. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, one worked the night shift, so I only saw him when I was leaving to go home, and then one guy worked on the days. Um, and I think there might have been three or four, maybe two or three. There, there, were, there were very few of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was, it was one of those things where it was like, um, oh, yeah, and then there was a girl named Kayla. So, yeah, there was about four of us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and we all knew each other. It was, it's, it's, it's one of those things like when you're, when you're in those environments and there's very few of you, you can always kind of be like, all right, I'll probably be friends with them and them and them. And because, like, you just know I got to have backup at some point, you know? So, like, sure. uh, uh, I'm, I'm the kind of person who will, like, go to a place with people and look around and go, okay, one, two, three. <laughs> Uh, there's four of me here today. Okay, cool. We're we're fine. We're fine. It's fine. <laughs> that's kind of that, 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 that's usually how I operate. So when I got to that yeah. job, I got I quickly figured out who was who, and um, we were all generally you know coworkers. I wouldn't say we were friends, mm-hmm. uh, sure. but yeah, we all knew we all we all knew each other for sure. So so when you so a lot of us do that think of kind of taking inventory mm-hmm. like what's the count? What's the count? Exactly. <laughs> So what's your threshold for when it feels different for you? What's the number that it feels like, whoa, uh, versus, okay, we're good, we're good. Right. Um, I don't think I've ever been in a place where, like, I'm comfortable here. Because, like, 
So I grew up in like the white suburbs of uh, of Pennsylvania. So like okay. the majority of my friends are white. So I kind of sure. I, I've I've kind of gotten used to being around that group of people. Um, no, you know, I wasn't trying to say anything hurtful. Just that's that's what I've been around. And so um, whenever I go anywhere, I'll do the count. Even if there's like two or three, I'm never like worried too much. Because I usually put myself in, in in good situations. I never put myself in a situation where I'm going to be like, oh, I might get screwed here. Like I don't I don't do that. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I mean, if the, if it's only me there, I get a little worried. Like if it's just one, mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I gotta. There was one time I went to a I went to a, I went to dinner with a friend of mine. I remember we walked in, I sat down, and I did a quick count, and I was like, I'm the only one in here. All right. Well, where's the exits? Over there and behind me. Okay, I was like, I, like, I knew where. I was like, just, just, just in case things go sideways, I want to be able to get out yeah, of here. Yeah, like so, just in case this is like a QAnon meeting and I need to get out. Let me, let me just start counting. What yeah. have I walked into? So I guess if there's if there's five or less, I'll probably be like, all right, let me just be aware. But if it's if it's if it's like ten or more, I, I'm, I'm generally good. I'm like, all right, we'll so find. So what and what's what's underneath that awareness? I'm sorry. What's underneath the awareness? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I know. I, I guess I'm wondering. Um, are, are you serious about counting the exits or thinking oh. about your personal or emotional safety? Like, what's? I am the kind of person whose head is always on a swivel, no matter where I go, regardless of the, uh, the situation or the count. Um, I'm always. You would think you grew up in West Philly? I know, right? It sounds like that, but I definitely didn't. I grew up in <laughs> I grew up in white suburbs. <laughs> I should feel safer anywhere I go. But um, to be honest, whenever I go anywhere, I'm all my head's always on a swivel. Um, when I even even the way I sit in restaurants, I tend to sit where my back isn't exposed. I like I I, I want to be able to see everything that's happening around me. Um, even and it's 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 a lot because there will be times when I'll be on dates and my head's always my eyes are always moving, my head's always moving. I'm always watching out for things um, because I mean. The news recently, like the past year, it's just been crazy, and it's hard to go anywhere and just feel comfortable. Like you're barely comfortable in your own home sometimes, mm-hmm. and going out, especially like I just, it's just, there's just too many risks involved. With like, oh, it's fine. I'm just going out for a night out. Nah, like it might be for you, but I got to keep my, I got to keep my eyes and ears open because if mm-hmm. I don't, I might get caught up in something, and I don't want right. to, I don't want to trip. Right. So, mm-hmm. I understand that. Well, I, I think you articulated that very nicely in the sense of this kind of healthy cultural paranoia that um, psychologists talk about that African-Americans and other people with minoritized identities are dealing with and have just as a survival technique. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and, and I don't know many black men who are willing to sit with their back to the door Mm. in a restaurant. Because it, it almost feels like um, my, my, my brother-in-law, he served in, uh, I think it was, he served. I'm not sure which branch he was in. I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm not going to guess. But he served. And even when he goes to restaurants, he does the same thing. He sits, in a, he, sits in, he sits in a position where he can see everything. And I respect that. And I do it just based on you know, my preference as a person. But I also do it now more based on just our cultural environment, like how, how it's been recently. Um, but, yeah, it's... It's some would say that it's a it's a tough way to live, but I'm also like, yeah, it's also survival though. So, <laughs> like, I, I kind of I, I see your point, but I'm also like, this is kind of where I'm at. So just understand my point, and we'll be fine. <laughs> well, it's all you know, right? It's yeah, it's what I know. Yeah, true. So as you started to audition and things for acting, or even trying to find an agent, and taking inventory of the count and trying to figure out how to make your way, and you didn't know. 
tell us what that was like for you as a black man. Oh, for sure. Uh, so when I, I was always interested in acting. Um, I've always, I've, I've loved doing it. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, I would watch VHSs. Oh my God, VHS. I would watch so many tapes over and over again. I would know him by heart. I mean, I could, I could recite it anytime I wanted to. So I've always been good at that. Um, when I came out here to get into acting, I wasn't really sure how to do it. And I didn't really have a lot of black friends out here. I only had the ones I worked with and they didn't know anything about acting, so I couldn't go to them. And the one guy that I did know, he was on a show, and um, I talked to him. But your success as a white actor and mine as a black actor are two very different things. Like, we might go for the same role, but we don't have the same experiences. And so when asking for advice about it, I knew that I could only take bits and pieces, but the majority I couldn't use because we're different people. Um, it, was, it, was, it was tough. It was tough. Um, i trying to think of, like, some examples. Um, so I got an agent relatively re- relatively quickly. Um, after I was let go from my second job, um, I met a friend of mine at a New Year's Eve party, a good friend of mine now, pardon me, introduced me to my first agent, and I've been signed with her for the last five years, and she wow. loves me as a commercial agent. She's like, you always get in the room, you're getting callbacks, like the casting loves you, and yada, 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 and I'm, it's great. Um, but just the process has been a little bit there, there's been moments where I'm like, ah, okay, that, that's not something I would have, uh, I'd like to see. One moment in particular I had was um, an audition for a mattress commercial. And so I woke up one morning and my agent called me, hey, you have this audition today downtown, can you make it? I was like, yeah, I'll be there, sure. And she sent me over the specs for the commercial. And I'm reading them, and I noticed that the, the people of color, their roles were getting paid $100 less than the Caucasian roles. And I was like, hmm, it's weird because... It seems like on the specs, they're doing the exact same thing. So why would we get paid less to do the same thing? And at the time, I didn't bring it up because I was still very fresh in my career. I didn't want to put myself in a position to be like, oh, he's one of those people. I was just like, I'm just going to see if I can land the job. And then if I do, then maybe I'll say something. Um, looking back on it, I kind of wish I'd spoken up because it was it, mm. it, it bothered me. Because I was like, I don't understand like why, why, why we're making less and they're making a, you know, $100 more. It, which might seem petty, but let's be real. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's not. And $100 is $100 is $100. Exactly. Yeah. That $100 could pay a bill. So I'm just saying, like, it'd be, it'd be nice to have it. Um, that's one thing I've experienced. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I might have answered your question. I think so. I think you did. <laughs> I, think you, I, I think it's interesting. So how did you make meeting of the $100 less? I kind of, I'm sorry. Let me just get that question one more time. How did you make sense of that? That it was because we were black and brown? Right. Um, I made sense of it. Uh, I think. I think. I don't think I made sense of it at all. I think I just accepted it. I was like, you know what? You're still young in this game. I don't want to cause a wave yet. It'd be different if I was like an established actor, and they were like, all right, we're going to pay you this amount for this role, and then we'll pay you this amount for this person. And I was like, well, why is he making more when I have when I'm doing more than he is? Then I would then I would be like, all right, we need to discuss this. But like being a low level actor doing a commercial that's non union that's paying like five hundred or six hundred dollars, five hundred for me, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it's hard to really kind of speak your mind because you 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 want to establish something, some kind of rapport with anybody. Um, so, like I said before, you know, hindsight, I would have, I should have spoken up, but I, I didn't because I was like, I just want to get this ball rolling because, I mean, it's mm-hmm. incredibly hard to get the ball rolling for sure. Have you had situations where you've had to use your voice in that way since then? Um, I'm trying to think of moments. I don't know that I have in a way that it's like, whoa. Like, I haven't gone off on anybody about something before. Um, I think most people generally, when they talk to me, there's a sense of respect 
you know? Mm-hmm. Even though that I haven't earned it from them or they've earned it from me. But, like, they can tell by talking to me. They're like, okay, like, this guy is not some scrub. He's not some rookie coming. Like, he's very – and then I'll show them my resume. And they're like, okay, so you've worked. Like, I'm not – I'm not fresh off the boat, guys. Like, no, like, no, 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 no pun intended. But, like, um, I know what I'm doing. And so, like, if you treat me any sort of way, I'm going to let you know about it. I'll pull you to the side and be like, hey, so I know you, I, I know you want this, but, like, dude – Let's be real for a second. Reel it in. <laughs> like I will, I will tell somebody how I feel about something. Um, mm-hmm. Now I will. Um, yeah, there was there, there was one time on set. Uh, I was shooting um, a commercial, and um, we were harnessed in this thing, like I don't know, maybe like thirty, forty feet in the air, mm-hmm. and I have to hang there between shots, and like it's not the most comfortable position. So there was a point where I was trying to like adjust my seat to get a little bit more of like a you know a little more back support, and like the director was like, "Eddie, did you hear me?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm just trying to get this adjusted." And so we did a take. And um, I guess I, I misheard him, and I went to his speaker. It was no, and I was like, "Whoa! Like, don't okay. Like, you can be upset with me, but don't raise your voice. Like, don't do that. Like, that's, that's just that's just that's just, that's just not the move." Um, I was like, you, "I was like, you can say a cut. It's not what I said. Do this, whatever. But like, don't attack me. That's not the move. Um, mm-hmm. Even if it's even if it's not racially based, like just just don't do that <laughs> because mm-hmm. that just puts a bad taste in my mouth. And now I know that that's where you're coming from, and now I'm going to treat you differently. So." Interesting. So one of the things that I've noticed is that it doesn't seem that the commercials that you've been in were necessarily cast for black actors. Mm. So tell me, tell me a little bit about, do you feel like that there's been some typecasting for you or not so much or? Mm -hmm. I think most of my typecasting has come recently through my theatrical auditions, which um, shout out, I got a theatrical agent, my first ever this year. So that's been that's been great. Uh, I'm, I'm very pleased about that. My, I have managers as well, and uh, it seemed like a lot of the roles I was getting from them were like thug, you know, those kinds of roles. And if you look at me, you can see me here. I don't, I don't, I, I can't. It's it, it's it's not that I can't play those roles, but I don't look the part off the bat. Like my voice sure. is not as it's it's not deep. It's it's kind of high pitched, and so like uh, those roles are harder for me to get. Um, but if I get roles like a doctor. Or like you know, I can I can I can reel those in for sure. sure. Um, in commercials, it's interesting. I love them so much because of this reason. Casting will bring in everybody that they can think of, and then just weed out from there. And there's been commercials where I've gone in, and it's been a sea of white, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna do in this thing. And then I get a call back, and I end up booking it, and I'm like, all right, dope. There was a moment that actually worked out in my favor one time. Uh, I had a I had a uh, audition for a Google spot. The day of this commercial, I did not plan it properly. <laughs> it rained that day, and I was wearing, I was I was doing Uber at the time, and so I left my apartment, and I didn't bring an umbrella, didn't bring a jacket. I didn't think it was going to be that big of a downpour. I'm in my clothes for the audition. I show up, uh, and I'm I had to park two blocks away and walk in the rain to my audition, and I was like, I'm 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 upset right now. I was like, I didn't plan for this. And so you can't run, you can't walk, you just got to take the rain. So I get inside, and I am soaked from head to toe. And I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up. And I get in there, and everybody looks all nice, and I sign in, and I'm, I'm playing a technician for this, for this Google ad. And uh, I sign in, I, I'm like, I, I just, I just want to sit down and just have a second to compose myself and get right. And then they were like, Eddie and John and Kevin, and I was like, oh, my God. So I had to get up and just go and do it. I did it, got a callback, but I got a callback for a different role to play the dad in the spot. And I was like, oh, cool. It kind of worked out my favor. And I ended up booking it. And then the guy that they got to play, a, uh, the installer, was a white guy. 
And I was like, that's interesting how they flipped it. And then the girl that I was paired with, I mean, like, we look like the perfect couple. So that was, I think, I think that was kind of a moment where, like, it kind of worked in my favor. Mm-hmm. But um, with commercials, like I was saying before, they bring in everybody. And then they, they break down from there. Um, I played a lot of, like, young dad roles, you know. And I think a lot of it depends on the kids as well. I've heard from casting so many times that they'll pick people based on, if it's like, if it's like a car spot, for instance. They'll pick people based on who the driver is. That's who will select. They'll pick people based on like who the kids are in, in, in certain auditions and certain commercials because they can choose the kid and go, okay, well, she's black. Then we'll, then we'll weed out everybody else and then pick only like from the black people and then we'll choose from them. And it's like, okay, that's interesting. So like my audition, it doesn't matter how I do. It all depends on how these kids do or how whatever you're looking for does. So really my talent isn't really at play here almost. It almost feels like it's, it's, like, it's like a crapshoot kind of deal. So mm-hmm. – um, that's an interesting theory. That, that's one thing that I, I, th- I thought was kind of interesting when I was going through this. And who knows how much implicit bias is playing a role in that? I'm sorry? Who knows how much implicit bias is playing a role in how they are staging it or picking the cast right. for it? Right. I, that one I, I, I do not know. I mean, I would assume that they know, but, you know, I <laughs> I wish I could tell you. I don't even know that one. <laughs> that one is so heavy. <laughs> so, so let me ask this. Is it as white as the the mystique is around it? So I'll, I'll, I'll read a statistic for you. So roughly three quarters of film actors were white, right? 12.5 black. This is old data, though, because I can see it being different now. 5.3 Asian, 4.9 Latinx, and then 4.2 Point, 4.2 other. Um, does it feel that way? There are still plenty of commercials and film roles that uh, go to the uh, the white community, for sure. I mean, I see all the time. Um, I've gone out for plenty of them. Where I, pardon me, I've gone to an audition. I thought I did well, and then they ended up casting somebody white, and I was like, "Well, then why even bring me in? Like, if you know that if you knew that that, that that's what you were going for, why even see me?" Um, and I do get bothered by that sometimes, but I also think to myself that, like, okay, well then, you know, at least they saw me, and that's nice. But um, you knew what you wanted. That's kind of how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe though that that has shifted to some degree. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement. You know all the you know all all the movements that have happened over the past like we'll say five years or so. Even the Me Too sure. movement has helped greatly um, with people mm-hmm. getting certain roles, um, and um, that's huge because I feel like if I had started this career five years earlier, I don't know if I I don't know if I'd be in the same place. Like I I I kind of got in at like the right time. Um, I started yes. getting hot at that at twenty seventeen ish, and that was good. Um, but yeah, I mean, things have kind of been on the, on on an uptick for the um, the people of color community. Uh, so yes. that's been been good. Well, it, well, you think about it. All we had was Spike for most of my life, and now there's Spike and Tyler and Ava and Issa, right? Um, and so all these one name people, right? And Oprah. Um, <laughs> that that there is there is something happening. That's the shift, and I think part of it is completely numerical in the, in the sense of monetary right. capitalism. Yeah. And so somehow there's been some kind of awakening that, yeah, that stuff will sell. And so you think Bridgerton is oh my uh, God. 
the most watched show on Netflix ever. That's crazy to me. My mom mm-hmm. watched it and she loved it, and she's not a big fan of like uh uh, uh period like pieces. like dialects, period pieces, and accents. Like yeah, she she, she can't she can't do things with like subtitles. And but when she watched that, I was like, oh, did you enjoy? It? Oh, I loved it. I was like, oh, okay, so you'll watch that. Okay, good to know. <laughs> but I mean, uh, from what I hear, it's a great show. I gotta watch it. I have so much on sure. my queue right now. It's sure. it's overwhelming. <laughs> well, I'm glad that there's so much in your queue. So I was listening to a, an interview today from. Um, that was sponsored by SAG, um, that Sterling K. Brown was talking about being on the show Army Wives. And there was a promo, and he asked why he wasn't on the promo. And the man said to him, I don't know if it was the director or the producer, I'm not sure, how would it look to have a black man on a poster with four white women? Um you want to respond to that or share any similar experiences that you've had like that? Jesus beans. Okay, first of all, let me just say, I met Sterling K. Brown. Great guy. Um, great. I played football with him. He was a great dude. And uh, I've seen his resume. I've seen a handful of his work. He does fantastic work. He's pretty amazing. He's very talented. I, I would love to work with him one day. Um, oh, man. <laughs> you know what's funny? You, 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 you hear stories like that and you're like, okay, um... I hear what you're saying. At the same time, absolutely not. If someone told me that, I would be like, I don't see what the problem is. Like, the show is this, and I'm a part of it. So I think, and I'm not not just a part of it. I'm a big part of it, and I feel like I deserve to be recognized for that. Um, I mean, like, you know what you're promoting. Why are you afraid to do that? I. Well, there's a perpetual, I mean, what the, the inherent pieces in it, I think, were that he, so Stella K. Brown said, he said something like, bruh, you're not about to dress me as a pimp. Exactly, like, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I'm going to be the nerdy guy that I've been in the series forever. But that the implicit bias piece is that, I don't know if it's about black men somehow um, defaming white women, which is, you know, the great here if you will or that he would look like a pimp or it would be frightening for people or that it wouldn't uphold the virtue of white women there is a i think i think i think it's a stigma there is a there is a there is a look about that um black men and white women there is there's a there's a there's a there's an interesting battle there um and I, i i do enjoy talking about it um with him specifically though if you if you watch the show and you know the character, you know what he's doing there on the poster, you know. But if you don't, then yeah, you'll look at it and go, "Why is he on this? Is that like a is it like a thing?" Like, but I mean, also how you're dressed would signify too. Like pimps don't dress casually; <laughs> they, they 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 just they just don't do that. Uh, the oh gosh, the argument of like white women and black men is so interesting to me. Um, people see it as like this. Um, what's this? What's the word I'm thinking of? Um, I don't want to say forbidden, like taboo type of deal. Um, and when they see it, they're like, oh, you know, the, everybody, everybody frowns it. Ah, oh, you can't do that. It's not a thing. Interracial couples and all that jazz, yada, yada, yada. I hear it all the time. And I have plenty of friends who are interracial couples. Love them to death. Uh, and they have no stigma. But it's funny how, it's funny to me how black man and a white woman is more frowned upon than a white man and a black woman. That's interesting to me. Like, no one really harps on that. But if it's a black man and a white woman, oh, my God, like, don't even... God forbid you even attempt to do that. So, so, 
So does this play out in Hollywood at all? This dynamic of the weirdness with black men and white women versus black women and white men? Mm-hmm. I've seen it a couple times in commercials. Um, mm-hmm. There there will be moments where I'll see uh, couples come on screen and it's usually a black woman and a white male who are like the couple or like they're like they're dating or they're married. That's the commercial. But there's been a few instances where I've been the husband and I've had a white and I've had a white wife. And I look at it and go, okay, so you guys are open. Like, you guys get it. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's where I sit on that. And I respect that. I'm like, great. Like, you didn't see it the reverse. Because, like, you, like be, you, you didn't see the reverse because you thought it would be safer. You know, I think, I think, I think that's what I'm going for. And, um, um, but, I mean, there's, there's been plenty of instances where I've seen it. Um, I think that Hollywood is slowly opening it up. I mean, we saw the first time that they freaked out about a commercial. I think it was a Folgers commercial. I think it was a coffee Cheerios. thing. Cheerios. Cheerios, right. That's what it was. And it was a... They had they they had a black dog. I I forgot what the what the what, what, the what was baby it? was interracial looking, and the wife was white and the husband was black. No, maybe it was the other way around. Right, right, and then they had a mix. And that was not that long ago. They were like, whoa, yeah. whoa. It was People like, like freaking out. You're like, whoa, like re- like guys, this is happening everywhere. All right, we're putting a commercial. Oh my god, we're putting a, you know we're putting in commercials. Why is there a shock? Like this is real life too. So why are you surprised by this? But you, but you know what, Eddie? I will tell you that what I have noticed, my husband and I have been talking about this. We notice more people who are looking more racially androgynous or um, lack, lack of clarity. You know they're not white, but sort of you're not implied sure. And then the proliferation. There are not a lot of commercials out there right now. I know you've been in one recently, I believe, though, that... It both both members of the dyad of the partnership are black. So what is that? One thing I see a lot now, I've seen recently, are two things. One, they want real people, and two, they want ethnically ambiguous. Is how they label it here. Yes. And um, they 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 want to be able to look at you and go, we can't tell what you are. You could be this. You could be this. Right. And that's supposed to appeal to a wider range of people uh, when you're doing this. You know, when you're doing this commercial. Or this, or this movie, whatever, and um, it kind of um, it weeds out people, like because like I have a friend, I I, I have a friend who's mixed, right? He's he's black because like when you're mixed, regardless of what you say or what people say, you're black. Like they'll always label you as such because that's just how that that's just how that goes. Yeah, and exactly. so, but he'll he'll go out for black roles and not get them because he doesn't look the part. You know what I'm saying? But, like, if he were to go out for ethnically ambiguous roles, he'd probably have more of a shot because no one can really tell what he is. <laughs> like, no one has so no... So they're, they're actually casting for ethnically ambiguous. That's what they label it, yes. I see it, all, I see it on casting things all the time. Wow. I think, I, I think, I've, I think I've even gone in for a couple, and I've booked it, but I'm always like, is it because I was black or ethnically ambiguous? Like, how do you see me with this right now? Um, I've never asked questions, but I'm always intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. It, it, really, it really is amazing. I'm like, really? Huh. Hmm, okay. Because, like, I... I don't, I'm not. I don't, I'm not married. I don't have a girlfriend. I have none of that. I'm very single. And um, we need to get your girlfriend, Eddie. If you want a girlfriend, unless you want a boyfriend, then we'll find. Oh no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, the dating. Well, that's that's another podcast. Uh, but um, uh, a lot of my, a lot of the um, recently, I had an audition where they wanted specifically interracial couples. They wanted biracial couples. And so I was asking every, you know, all the girls that I that I've worked with before. Hey, can you do this thing? And when I saw, um, I was I asked like I think one girl is Hispanic, one girl was Latina, 
I don't know why I said it like that. Latinx, <laughs> and I had, and then I asked like two um, white girls, and we went in for the audition, and you know that was it. But it's always funny when they say they specifically want interracial or biracial couples. I'm like, okay, cool. So you're you're looking to kind of like branch out a little bit, you know? I I, I respect that when people do that kind of stuff, because um, it feels like, oh yeah, we only want these people. I'm like, all right, okay, that's cool. Can I ask why? Well, it, it's interesting because I I get that they get more bang for their buck if they will, if you will. But I think what it ends up leaving out is are people who are not ethnically ambiguous. Mm, right. Like, if you can clearly tell what this person is, you're not going to have a shot to get this audition at all. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, what you can't see, listeners, is me pointing <laughs> at my chocolate brown self. <laughs> um, yeah, mm-hmm. in the middle of this, which is, which is really interesting. So, what other challenges have you faced as a black man out in L.A. and in your industry or that you've seen other people deal with? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the challenges that I face are, um, I think oh, it's, th- this is hard to answer because I wouldn't say that it's entirely racially based. Um, but there's moments, for instance, a buddy of mine and I went out for the same role for this movie one time. Right. And, uh, I didn't get it and he didn't get it, but just to give you an idea, think of me as Keegan-Michael Keegan. He's like Seth Rogen. So, like, we're two very different people. Went out for this audition. I didn't even get a callback. He got one. And he got to the point where casting, the producer, and I think the director all wanted him. But Hallmark wanted someone different. And they were like, all right, well, that sucks. So, like, I've, pardon me, I've seen where, like, you've gotten so far, but they can't use you because you don't have this out of the other. Um, and it's it's like, you're like, what? but you know I have it. Like, why would you hesitate? giving me this role when you know that I can clearly do it. Um, but so I think some of the challenges that I faced have just been, um, I kind of, I think mostly like networking really mm-hmm. and having okay. to put myself out there. Like every, the, the majority of things that I do now are because I built relationships with so many people that they remember me from the jobs that I worked on. And I'm happy that I've done that. I have such a personality that like I can be friends with somebody quickly. Like I, I can kind of read you and go, we'll be, we'll be good. And there's been a handful of jobs that I booked because they knew me, they knew my talent, they knew my level of uh, professionalism, and they bring me back. So mm-hmm. at that point, it's not even about race, it's just about how good I am, and that's great. Sure. Like, I, love, I, I, I love that I can burst through that barrier just based on how I, just, just based on performances I've given you before. Right. Um, I actually had a guy this past uh, year reach out to me through a company that I worked for before because he saw me in this ad and was like, I want to use this guy. Like, I want to use only him. I don't want anybody else except for him. And I respect that. Like, this guy knows nothing about me. He naturally sure. assumes that I'm going to be a good person. He calls me because he went through, like, four different hoops to get to me. And uh, he's just talking to me. He's like, you sound like a great person. I would love to use you for the spot. I couldn't do it because of the parameters for the whole thing. But that's great. Like, that speaks to that, – that speaks way past color. That, like, that, that, that speaks past my – I mean, that, that speaks to, like, my talent, everything. It does. And that's it huge. Does. And that speaks towards, like, the, the amount of steps I've taken to get this far. Um, it was tough for me at the beginning to get, to get roles because no one knew who I was. And I had to really, like, mm-hmm. prove myself. And it always sure. seems that way even in, like – even in uh, every audition room, I feel like I'm never guaranteed anything. I never, I, I never go into an, uh, an audition thinking that I can, I can, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna book this. I'm confident for sure, yeah. But I never go in thinking nobody can match me in this place. They just can't. Mm-hmm. That's not how I operate. Um, challenges for me have mostly just been uh, personal. I think uh, hurdles I, I have to get past. Um, but I haven't really, I, I haven't really experienced a lot of like, I'll be honest, like I, I, I haven't really experienced a lot of, uh, 
um, racial um, um, hurdles yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and that, that might be because I'm, I'm low on the totem pole right now. Mm-hmm. But I think the higher you get, I think, how did, how did, how did, I forgot how Dave Chappelle said it. Um, I forgot how, how he phrased it. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get it wrong. But like, mm-hmm. when you're black and successful, it's, it's, you, you, you almost have a target on your back. You know what I mean? Like, like people are like waiting for you to fail. And so just, just so they can go, oh, he shouldn't have been here or she shouldn't have been here and all that jazz. And that's tough. So like having to maintain a, uh, a positive uh, outlook on life and having to show like a pretty much like clean life is huge. Like it's, that's, that's taxing to have to always be perfect because you never know what might happen or what you might say that might get taken out of context. And that is like taxing. <laughs> I'll be, it's, I'll be honest. With you, it's exhausting sometimes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, having mm-hmm. to always be good. I guess you could, I guess that was the word I'm looking for. Um, or is it better? Is the word better? Better. It's not just about being good, but it's right. about being better. Being better, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's better. true. It's, it's, it's being better for sure. Well, and one might call that the black tax. Yes. <laughs> I've never heard that. I'm, please elaborate on that. I would love to hear more about that. <laughs> so it's, the, it's, the, it's this extra energy, effort, sometimes money, that African-American folks have to deal with in order to be successful in their careers. And it's kind of built around this notion that we have to be three times as good to get half as far. So I'll give you I'll give you an example in my own life. So I live in rural in rural Pennsylvania, so I live about two hours from Philly. I work at Susquehanna University, and so with the Amish. And um, <laughs> so in order to get my hair done, in order to have a social life, in order to uh, be active with my sorority or whatever, whatever. I have to drive an hour to Harrisburg to make that happen. That's an extra energy and tax that I have to deal with that my white colleagues who move to this area don't. Cannot relate to that. Yeah, they just can't. Yeah, and so so there are other, there are things that, I mean, even you articulated it so nicely that, that, that being careful and cognizant and aware and feeling like you do, you gotta be better. Um, is an extra emotional labor that um, that you have to deal with that some of your white peers don't. Right, right. And so that's what I mean when I say the black tax. So how have you dealt with it, Eddie? Have you, have you, are you having a reaction? Did you want to say something? Oh, no, I was just, I'm just going to write down black tax and put that on my wall. <laughs> just okay, black tax, that's boom. Good. So how do you deal with it? What are you doing to continue to be successful, keep your head in the game, and mitigate the impact of that exhaustion that you talked about earlier. One of the things I learned uh, relatively early on is you got to have hobbies, ways to detach, mm-hmm. to not mm-hmm. think about things too much. So mm-hmm. when I first started, when I would get auditions, I would get, I would get hyped about auditions. Like, oh, my God, I got an audition. And then I wouldn't get it. I wonder why I wouldn't get a callback. You know? And I would let that sit in my mind rent-free for weeks, wondering mm-hmm. why I didn't get it. The older I got and the more involved I got in this industry, I learned to just let things go. Nowadays, when my mom will ask, hey, how'd it go? I'll just go, oh, yeah, we'll see. I don't really get too hyped on it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I work out three days a week. I play uh, before, you know, we shut down the world. I was playing flag football and ultimate frisbee. Like, I play a lot of, like, active sports. So I'm always out um, relaxing my mind and playing sports where I don't, I don't have to think about my job at all. Um, even, even, even when I'm working out, I put my phone away for the hour that I'm there, and I don't check it until nice. I leave. Nice. Because... You have to have ways to detach from 
your life. If you don't, it's going to consume you. Like, you have to have ways to, 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 to relax. I'll play video games. I'll listen to music. Um, uh, I have plenty of friends who just, we just want to go for hikes, just go out and walk around and we'll do I'm working on like two or three different podcasts with people right now. I'm working on, like, I, I find a way to keep my mind relaxed when it comes to my industry. Um, I try not to let too many things bother me because I'm not in control of it. And, um, there's no point in trying to control something that I can't. It's, it, it, it would be exhausting to try to be like, all right, well, I'm, I, if I do this right, maybe they'll do this. And it's, you just got to go in there, do your best and then leave. Um, so yeah, I think the way that I navigate, uh, the, I don't want to say the grief, I guess just the stress of it is just by detaching and doing things I've been doing since I was a kid, playing video games and, you know, playing out, being outside in the sun, running around, all that stuff. Well, and I think that's a, that's a great pro tip for anyone working in a situation where they have little to no control over being picked. Right, 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 right is to be able to disconnect from it in ways that are soul-feeding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Very good. So what So what would this Eddie Williams say to your, to the... How old are you? I'm 31. <laughs> so what would you say to your 21-year-old self? Oh, wow. Just arriving to L.A. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. I was so different 10 years ago. I was different five years ago. I was different last year. Um, I've been asked, I, you know, I got asked this question recently. Like, what would you say to your, uh, so to give you, to give a little context, if I may, I recently had an audition for a movie coming up um, that I got a call back for, and I'm very excited about it. It's a big, it's a big project. I would love to work on it. It'd be great to be involved. And a buddy of mine, after we had done the cell tape for it, um, he sent me a text that was just like a, a whole bunch of like brotherly love, you know, and he's a white guy. And, but like, we like we're on the same career path. Granted, we're different races, but like our our path has been very similar in the how it's been for us, right? He sent me this text. It was very well written, very just from the heart, and I loved it. And one thing that he talked about was imagine telling your ten year old self what you just did, and being like, "This is going to happen to you in twenty one years." You'd be like, "I don't believe that." Especially like when I was ten, I can't tell you when I was a kid. I was probably the most like negative person in the world. You could hand me a million dollars, and I'd be like, "Well, I got a tax it, right?" That 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 would upset me. But nowadays, um, having been through the last five years of this with acting, I've been able to um, find the positives more. So I'm much more of a positive person than I was like ten years ago. I was just like, there were so many things that would just bog me down. If I were to go back and tell my 21 year old self, my 10 year old self, like, dude, you're going to be doing some incredible stuff in like your late 20s, early 30s. All you got to do is be patient and just, you know, keep being yourself. Don't ever change. Like keep being who keep being that you know, that comedic, sarcastic person that you are and also that 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 nice humble person as well. But like just know that it's coming. Like it's it's and you're going to love every second of it. And I have. Um I it it'd, it'd be tough to convince me at 10 years old though. Like <laughs> I'll be honest with you because like because I mean like if you if if you could have known me, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have been like, "Ah, and I'm not meant, I'm not meant for anything." Like I was so like hard on myself, you know. Mm-hmm. So to try and go back to, you know, 10, 15 years ago and convince myself that would be tough. Um even if I had visual of like, "Hey, you do this like you do this grand movie." Like trust me, like just give it 20 something years and you you'll be you'll be like, "Oh, I can't believe I was right all those years ago when I came and visited myself." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And um I know it'd be it'd be it'd be tough to convince me, but I think I could maybe do it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. So, I ask every single person that I interview 
this question. What's the one piece of advice that you would give white people in Hollywood in dealing with people of color and creating more inclusive spaces? This is something that can kind of go across the board, not just in Hollywood, but like with anything. We're talking like news, anything that happens in society, all those things. And it's to listen, which not a lot of people mm-hmm. do anymore. You know, um, I'm on a lot of social media apps. And the one thing I notice is that people have a very, um, how can I put this properly? They have a freedom about themselves where they feel like they can say anything they want and it's totally fine. And you're like, buddy, like read the room. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not the place for this. Um, and I think that's one thing that I wish people would do more is just listen. You know, y- you can say something to somebody and they'll hear it, but whether or not they retained it are two different things. Sure, sure. Um, when the, um, when the George Floyd stuff happened early last year, I remember a lot of, a lot of my white friends came to me and asked me questions. Hey man, how you feeling? How's it going for you? There was a lot. I mean, it was, it was a lot last year. It felt like every day something crazy happened. And, you know, I have friends who are like, well, you know, what can I do to, you know, kind of, I know, help. And I was like, just, just listen, dude. That's all I'm like, I'm like, we're going to speak. All you got to do is listen. And if, if you listen and actually hear what we're saying, then you'll get it. But if you don't, I've been talking to the wall for the last 10 minutes. Like, it's like, I, I got, I got nothing for you. Um, listening is so huge. And I think that a lot of people just don't do that. They'd rather just be outspoken and you're like, okay, that's great. But you got to know your audience too. Like you can't just be, ah, say whatever you want and think they want to repercussions. Um, yeah. So I think long story short, it would be to listen for everything that we're saying or how we're feeling. Yeah. Eddie, is there anything that you thought that I would ask today that you want to make sure that you share? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, hmm. Um, I thought maybe you'd, I thought we'd dive a little bit more into, I guess, uh, just kind of my life out here, how it's been out here, um, with the jobs that I had before this and all that stuff and how it, how it, how I kind of, how I kind of got here, uh, just kind of, you know, perspective kind of, uh discussion i wasn't sure uh, so tell go ahead no, no, please go ahead, go ahead. tell me more about that oh, of course um so when i got out here i didn't know anybody like i uh my my stepdad's niece um i think that's what she was yes she had a place that, uh, that i was allowed to stay at for uh the couple first couple months i came out here my one friend i've known since elementary school picked me up from the airport and brought me here he was living in um Laguna Beach, though, so I couldn't even begin to be have a friendship with him because he's so far away. Um, Laguna Beach to LA is probably like a two-hour drive, maybe like a little bit less than that. Oh wow, I didn't realize it was that far. Yes, <laughs> so it's kind of LA traffic on that. Forget about exactly. It. I might as well pack a bag. Um, and so um, it was tough to make friends. I, it was it was hard because like you know you're not. I'm not the kind of person who like puts myself in places to like go. Oh, I'm gonna go out and have a good time. Like nowadays, I I really don't go out unless I really have to. Um, but I remember. Um, getting my first job out here, like job interviews were always tough. And it's funny because like my my name Edward Allen Williams Jr. sounds very white. To be honest with you, it sounds it very like royal. Mm-hmm. So like usually when I go into when I when I go into a uh, job interview back then, I would always know I have a shot because of my name. And so it was funny when people would call my name. They'd go Edward Williams. And I would look up and they'd be like, Oh. Oh come on in! Like it was, it was, it was, it was kind of a shock. To, oh, you're not mm-hmm. who we thought you were. <laughs> and um, uh, I would, I would land the job just based on personality usually. And I'm, I can do my job once you teach me. I got you. Um, but uh, 
had a, those those jobs where they I they were good for me because they helped make me who I am today. But I'll be honest with you, mm-hmm. if I could go back and do it all over again, I would probably avoid I'd probably uh, avoid those places um, just because of those places being like what. So the first job that I had, I was working nine a.m. to whenever you finish. That could be midnight, wow. two in the morning, doesn't matter, and then you're back at a nine the next morning. It was the kind of it was the it was the kind of environment where like they expect you to to do more than what your job title included. So like, hey, I'm you're, you're you're supposed to do this, this, and this, but we also want you to do this, that, 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 and that, and then they blame you if that didn't get done, even though it's not really your job description. You're like, that's okay. So I got chewed out of that job a lot because there were things I didn't think I had to handle, but I did. The boss was kind of a mess, and here's the thing: I'm very honest with people. I'm the kind of person who I believe that I'd rather be honest with you and make you cry than tell you a lie and make you happy because if I tell you a lie, it's going to get worse. And so I remember my boss came to me one day and was like, hey, are you happy being here? And I was like, define happy. <laughs> and he goes, you know, you, you know, I was like, I mean, it's okay. I was like, it's, it's all right. I was like, yeah, people are okay. The job's fine. I was like, this guy, though. I was like, if he wasn't here, I'd probably be happier. <laughs> I was like, you know, it, it is what it is. And then he came to me and asked me, um, we had like a, like, I think like a review. You know, where, where do you see yourself in five years here? And I was like, I don't really see myself past June of next year here. And I was let go in May. So... Uh, wow. kind of weird how that worked out. Um, and then like the next job I got, I remember being there. It's kind of the same thing, you know? Um, I think how many people of color were there? Myself, one, two, three, four, maybe like at the most 10 over my four, over, over my, like my three or four years there. Uh-huh. Um, and I was, I was friends with a couple of them, but the one that I was friends with ultimately got me, well, let me quote <laughs> friends in quotes. Um, uh, ultimately got me fired from that job. Um, and I'm thankful that I got out of it though, because that job showed me that I really shouldn't be there. I remember there was a time when a buddy of mine was shooting his first film. He had moved out here, a friend of mine from high school, middle school, all the way back to grade school. And he wanted to make his first film. He wanted to shoot it back in PA though. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, I, but I'm out here in LA. I've established life. Like I'm, I've been here for, at this point, I want to say, uh, 2011, 2011, probably four or five, maybe six years. No, four years or so. And I was like, I can't just up and leave and go home and do this movie, right? And so um, I told my boss, I had saved up, like, my vacation days, and he gave me, the, he gave me the, the shooting dates, and the shooting dates were, like, almost a month. I was like, bro, I can't go home for a month and do this. Like, I was like, I, was like, I have a job. I was like, I have a life out here, bro. And I was like, I have bills to pay. Like, I'm not, I can't just sit at home and, like, expect these bills to not get paid. Like, <laughs> I was like, and so um, we ultimately, I ultimately wasn't a part of the movie. And I remember my boss kind of, she, she put it in a way that was so, like, elegant but also impactful she had said you know when i got out of college and i was in this world i was trying to i was i i i I wanted to do this project and this and i wanted to do these amazing things and then i kind of just stopped having those dreams and i remember when she said it i was just kind of like wow (laughs) like i was like that sounds so sad and i remember thinking when i when i got back to my office to go back to work i remember thinking i can't stay here like i was like i was like i gotta get out of here and um uh it all i mean God worked it out in a way that I wasn't the most ideal way for me to go out, but um, the way it kind of, it, I think the way that it happened, it kind of forced me to be, well, this is my plan now, and I'm, I'm going to stick to this. Like, it, it gave me the mindset of, like, being, of being a hustler, of, of like, having to, having to understand that I, I have to work to get to where I want to be, and I can't just come in at 9 to 5, clock in, and just clock out, because you know, I'm, sure, I'm, sure. I'm going to have to push myself. And I learned that, and I think if I didn't have that job, I wouldn't have learned that mentality. Um, 
even just starting to be like a, a, a positive person. I remember when I first came out here, um, maybe like two or three years in, my buddy Nate, um, he talked to me on two different occasions. And he said, I want to ask you a question. Why do you always say no to things? And I was like, well, you know, I just, I just, I just don't know. You know, I'm, uh, I don't know if I'm qualified for it. I don't know if I can do it or not. And he goes, yeah, but you'll never know if you, if you don't try. Like, why not just say yes and just do it? And I was like, I guess I'm just kind of shaken by it. And he got, he had, he really gave me like, and he's younger than me. And he gave me a stern talking to about how to be successful. It's like, you, you, you got to learn to start saying yes and understand that the only way you're going to progress is if you put yourself in a position to progress. But if you keep saying no, you, you won't get there because you're going to keep shutting yourself down and putting yourself in a box and, and you'll stay in that box. Well, and not only that, but failure is such a huge part of success. Yeah, it's a learning experience. Like, in a way, mm-hmm. in, in a way, you never really fail. It's always a learning experience. Like, no one takes that's, L's that's right. unless you're learning about it. Mm-hmm. Um, or unless you don't get back up. Exactly. If you get kicked down and you stay there, then you've taken an L. Great. But if you get back mm-hmm. up, you learned a lesson. Like, nowadays, Absolutely. whenever something bad happens, I'll go, okay, what I learned from it and how can I change going forward? And I'll do that if it's possible. Sometimes it's not like dating. You just don't know why you took an L, but you just take it and you go for it. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but uh, with because it something else would make you a stop. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but nowadays, I've learned from experience in life that um, if you if you if you if you want if you want to keep moving forward, you got to take whatever prop you know, whatever hit's been taken your way and just kind of take the blow and keep going. Um, and then another thing he, he had talked to me about was like, hey, I know you want to get I, I I know you want to get into acting, my buddy Nate. And he was like, what would you prefer? Would you prefer to have a nine to five job that you have now where you're guaranteed benefits, a paycheck every week, your comfort, so to speak, or having a job that you don't know when you're going to have again, when your next paycheck is living day to day, what would you prefer? And I was like, honestly, I prefer to be an actor. I was like, because I know that I'm good in that regard. And I know that, um, it's what I want to do. So no matter how many hits I take, I'm going to keep going because it's what I want to do. This job of comfort is nice, but I don't want to die here. Like I've seen that with people where they, they get settled into a job and they just, they're just there forever and they, they get no joy out of it. They're just there because they have to be there. I'm here. So I'm you know, kind of like Marshawn Lynch. I'm here. So I don't get fired. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, and I, I, I didn't want to live like that. I was like, I want to get, I want to go out and do what I want to do. And in 2015, when I finally, when I finally kind of did it, it was like, it was, it was, it was liberating when I started seeing success, you know? Um, and then once you start building a network of connections, you start like you like you start seeing that like this is the right move. Like I definitely, if I had stayed, I would be miserable, <laughs> you know. And you know, I just I'm I'm so thankful that that happened because I don't know where I'd be right now if I didn't have those two talks. Um, probably to go work. I, I, I'd probably still be at home and PA to be honest. With you. Working at a grocery store to be honest with you. Uh, wow. Yeah, I mean. Perspective has been a huge thing for me recently, like like looking back on where you came from to see where you are now and thanking those people along the way. Um, yeah, man, I don't whew, I don't know where I'd be. Probably got a kid. I'd probably be married right about now if I didn't choose this path instead. So, Well, and I, I think there's something to be said for pursuing your passion. And I think part of what is interesting to me about your journey is that it is very non-traditional, that you don't know many black kids from Westchester, Pennsylvania, that are moving to LA to try to make it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was a, it was a, it was a big risk, and people always, you know, the, the, my friends who I still talk to uh, from high school, are like I, I commend you, man. Like that's great. Like I, I applaud you for doing that. Like that, that the, the, the biggest step is just making the jump to come out here, um, and being able to stay out here. There's been so many moments that I can tell you were like, it seemed like it was over, 
and something happened that allowed me to stay out here another month, another, you know, another year. And, you know, I, I'm blessed for those opportunities. It's great because I don't know, I don't know what might've, what might've happened. Um, so clearly I'm meant to be here. Something is supposed to happen. That's going to be like just incredible. And I haven't seen it yet, but I know that it's going to happen. So that helps a lot too. That's awesome. That's, that's wonderful. How'd your family respond to the going to LA and, I know your family is very close knit. Um, yeah. Um, two stories. Uh, that was that was that was a tough one because my family always kind of saw me. I don't. They, I think they kind of saw me as like the homebody. Like he's never going to leave PA to go to Los <laughs> Angeles. That was crazy. Even when I came home to, and from college when I graduated, that year, hey mom, I'm moving to LA. She was like, what? <laughs> she had that mom that, that that typical mom reaction, you know, like <laughs> like do you have anything lined up, a place to live? All she asked me all these questions I didn't have answers to. I was like, no, I'm just going to go out there and just give it a shot and see what happens. But I think there was a handful of my family that kind of thought, like, that's a, that's a risky play. Um, even when I came out here, my first couple of months, I remember, refreshing my first month, I remember calling my mom one day. I was at a cafe, and I was looking for jobs still. And I was, um, I was, it was like the last bit of the rope, and I was almost done. And uh, I remember calling her and like just being on the phone, like, crying. Just being like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And uh, I remember we hung up, and my, I think she called my sister and was like, I'm going to tell him to come home. She's like, don't tell him to come home. Because if you, if, if you tell him to come home, this is Deanna said, don't tell him to come Yeah, yeah, Deanna said this. Don't tell him to come home because if you do um, and he's miserable, that'll be on you. Tell him that he can come home, but, you know, leave that option up to him. Because if you do, then that, that falls on you and then you'll be, you'll be that, that dark cloud that hangs over top of him. Um, again, a miracle happened and I made it through and I, I established a life out here. Um, I learned <laughs> later um, that one particular family member kind of uh, – had his doubts about me when I first when I first came out here. I went. I had gone home for uh, a very special event, and um, we were talking outside of like the hotel. And he was like, "I'll be honest with you, man. Like when you went out to L.A., I thought you were absolutely crazy. I was like, what is this Negro doing? But now that I've seen what you've accomplished in the last five or so years, I gotta say, man, I'm proud of you. And like it took it it, it took five years for me to prove myself that I you know that I mean well not even five. I think it might have been. Seven years. I think it was seven years at that point to prove myself that I, you know, wow. I made the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's what it takes, dope. I'm glad I, I'm glad I proved you wrong. I love mm-hmm. doing that. There was nothing, even if it's family, I still love proving people wrong. Um, there's something about sure. that just feels so rewarding. Like you thought I couldn't mm-hmm. do this. Well, I'm going to go ahead and just go ahead and pull a Kobe on you and show you that I can do this and you'll be shocked when yeah. it's over. Um, and so that was, that was, it was, it was, it was, it was a nice like heart to heart moment, but it was also super rewarding for me to be like, Gotcha. Like I, I was like, oh, you like you, 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 you thought I had no chance, and uh, I don't know. It was, it was, it was great. Um, but I think now my family kind of looks at me and they go, they're like, we're, we're really proud of you and all the things you're doing, all the things that you have done, and they see me everywhere because I'm popping up on TVs and commercials and all that stuff, and it's great. I love, I, I love it. It's great. They're my biggest supporters, um, sure. and uh, it's, it's wonderful having a family that I have because they are huge uh, supporters of me, and I love that. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. So that's a good place to end. This episode was edited by Caroline Bone. Special thanks to our podcast intern, Amanda Gillette. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by DavisDeliciousDelights.com. DavisDeliciousDelights.com custom-made personalized pastries, cakes, pies, and cookies made with a dash of Southern Flair. Visit davisdeliciousdelights.com and use the coupon code BEINGTHEDOT 
for 20% off orders of $35.99.